Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Barry Norris from Argonauts Capital. In this episode, Barry talks about his investment style and strategy. He also walks us through his thesis for investing in two companies, which he is very bullish on. I really enjoy listening to him and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. If you are listening to this podcast on the Apple Podcast app, please do feel free to leave a review. It helps us spread the word and the feedback is great too. Okay, on with today's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Barry. Hi Barry, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Can you provide an overview of the Argonauts Absolute Return Fund? What is the objective and the investment style? So the fund is aimed at investors who want diversification from market direction or or beta. So we assume that our investors will have other stock market investments and indeed encourage them to to do so, uh, either in active funds or cheap passive beta. And what we're trying to do is to deliver double digit uncorrelated returns, which will blend very well with these other assets because we produce returns at different times and therefore improve the overall risk characteristics of the wider portfolio. So obviously, uh, a massive trend in our industry has been passive funds, the, the ability of investors to buy cheap market beta exposure, and also, of course, DIY investing with people liking to research and invest in stocks themselves. So what we do is to just provide something different to that. And obviously, one of the the main way that we provide an uncorrelated return is our ability to short stocks as well as long positions and for those those short positions to provide a, a market hedge, which generates a return profile, which is uncorrelated. Did you find this approach worked well over the past year with all the pandemic uh, crisis? Last year was a fantastic illustration of the benefits of a non-correlated fund because in this time last year, in, in, in March, the market fell 20% in a single month. We had a record 15% up month. And I think that demonstrated the folly of diversification with only long-only funds or or long-only stock positions. You know, we certainly don't want to be negatively correlated to the market. And indeed, in March last year, we were actually still net long the market when we delivered that that return. But that, if you like, was the best example I can give of of why it's important to have investments and funds which can provide uh, returns at different times to everything else that you own. And these short positions, are they targeted at individual companies or at the market as a, as a whole, if things were to get overvalued perhaps? Yeah, so, so all of our short positions are individual stocks. We don't really believe in hedging through index options. So uh, we aim to add alpha on the short side as well as the long side. So we, we call it double alpha. You know, in general, you know, there's three types of shorts for us. One, frauds, which are are very stock specific. Two, overvalued growth, which are, you know, investment bubbles that that hopefully we get 
we go short fairly near the top of those investment bubbles. And, and finally, value traps, which tend to be in sunset industries where you know, the business is in a secular decline. I would say I wouldn't encourage any individual investors to short unless they have a specific edge and, and proper risk controls. We do it, obviously, for, for return, but also for our uncorrelated uh, profile of our investment return. And I think it's also very important to, to be pretty well diversified in, in short positions. So our short positions are typically much smaller than our long positions. Uh, we make sure that we are, are pretty widely diversified uh, simply because you know, the, the short profile of or, or the profile of shorts can be somewhat different to that of our, of our long positions. And for your uh, for your long positions, um, for the equities, what what type of businesses do you like to invest in? Our investment style is to look for earning surprise. So wh- whereas most uh, fund managers will characterise their investment style as value or growth, we believe in something which is a little bit different, but what which we believe is actually the determinant of the stock price, which is the the earnings profile, how much profit the company is going to earn. And specifically, when a company earns more profit than the market thinks, then the share price goes up. And when a company earns less profit than the market thinks, the share price goes down. I've been investing now uh, or running funds for over 15 years. So we've seen a number of different cycles. There was a very much a, if you like, a value cycle from 2000 to 2008. Then since the great financial crisis, you've seen growth stocks largely outperform. And of course, growth managers over the last 10 years will tell you that's because growth stocks always outperform. Uh, And value managers in the previous cycle said the same thing, whereas we would argue that actually that this style bias, if you like, is very much determined by earnings and when when if you like there's a lot of economic growth around average stocks can grow their earnings then valuations are important but when you're in a uh, a low economic growth environment as we've been since the great financial crisis interest rates are very low people can think longer term about their investments because inflation is not an issue that's the type of environment where growth stocks do well. And obviously, particularly disruptive technology stocks have led the way. And that's because growth has been scarce and therefore investors have been more willing to finance new business opportunities. So, you know, I think it's very important to think about the fact that biggest risk that most fund managers face is actually their style risk that, you know, simply you know, the, the market doesn't reward cheap stocks or the market doesn't reward uh, growth. We, we think that we have a process which better allows us to navigate that. But of course, I would say it's probably much more difficult to identify genuinely earning surprise than it is to identify a cheap stock or a, or a growth stock. You know, we very much think that the process works much more consistently, but it's, cer- it's certainly not idiot proof. And what would cause you to to sell uh, one of your positions? Well, there's a portfolio construction aspect in all the what we do. So if we find 
better uses of our capital or or we're taking profits typically most of the time we buy and sell a stock is is for portfolio management you know what what we are looking for is an idea which we've done, obviously done our research believe that the company is going to earn less money than the market thinks and that there are catalysts in the near term for that to play out on the long side you know most most of our selling if you like will be in stocks that we think of uh, the idea either hasn't worked out as as we expected and i think you know as a fund manager uh, the longer you're in this business the more humble you are about you know the fact that you're not right all of the time uh, and we've got better uses of that capital uh, going forward okay so so can we take a bit of a dive into your portfolio can you talk us through um maybe two companies that you're very uh, bullish on at the moment? And what was the thesis for investing? You know, one of our biggest positions at the moment is in is in Porsche. Also, by that, we also mean Volkswagen because Porsche is, is basically a holding company for Volkswagen. So we're buying Volkswagen shares at a significant discount to net asset value of, of a, roughly uh, 40%. Why is it attractive? Well, I think until recently, investors have thought that the move to electric vehicles was going to be a trend which solely benefited one company, and that was Tesla. Uh, And that Tesla obviously has been a a technological leader. It hasn't had a legacy combustion engine business, and that Tesla was going to dominate in, in the same way as Ford dominated in the early part of the last century with the Model T. I think it's become a lot more clear that actually the market has significantly underestimated the efforts of traditional car OEMs, and specifically Volkswagen, which through its ownership of Porsche, Audi, obviously Volkswagen itself, uh, and a number of other luxury brands uh, like Bentley, has actually got massive R&D budget and is able to uh, amortize that over a number of different uh, models. So I think what we will see over the next 18 months is actually Volkswagen's, the Volkswagen Group sell as many electric vehicles as Tesla, whereas previously, I think the market viewed uh, traditional OEMs as losers from EV. It's become more clear that actually EV will be more profitable than combustion vehicles, and in the long term, you know, Volkswagen will, will generate sales from very high margin navigation software in the same way as the market expects that from Tesla. And whereas, if you like, Tesla trades at a valuation, which is very difficult to, to think is, is cheap in any way, even in five or 10 years time, Volkswagen is still trading on a single digit price earnings multiple uh, with significant net cash on the balance sheet. So we certainly believe that as we move to EV, which I think is a process which is certainly going to be accelerated because of the economic stimulus that post-COVID governments have thought is now desirable, that Volkswagen and Porsche, by virtue of being the cheap way into Volkswagen, will be a great investment over the next few years. Okay. And how about a second stock you're quite bullish on as well? One of the sectors that we are we are very bullish on at the moment and have been 
uh, since the for the for the last twelve months is, is semiconductors, and obviously semiconductors is a great secular growth industry that's been accelerated by COVID and and digitization, and the fact that it's also the most cyclical part of tech. And at the moment, we have booming or will have booming economic global growth this year, and there's supply constraints all along the industrial complex and we want at the moment we want to be in the most commoditized area of semiconductors because that's where we think the greatest upside is in terms of price inflation Uh, we also want to be in stocks that we think are potentially going to benefit from industry consolidation because we think that will continue our biggest holding in in semiconductors at the moment is in a, a u.s company called western digital and this is very much involved in data storage and specifically the bit that we like about it is in uh, its exposure to NAND which is basically uh, memory and there are, there are two types of, of memory there's DRAM and, and NAND the DRAM market is slower growing it's being consolidated with only three main players as a result of that pricing has been very good. We think the next thing to happen will be that the NAND market gets consolidated in the same way. So we think there's going to be significant consolidation in that industry. And we think that Western Digital will be part of that. We think it also benefits from significant price increases in commoditized semiconductors where its business model is based. So we think that this is not in the current share price and the if the NAND market consolidates in the same way as the the DRAM market has then there'll be significant upside for Western Digital either because it gets bought or because it benefits from consolidation in the in the rest of the industry yeah I've heard reports that uh, the US government want to um bring back much of the production of semiconductors because it's so important. I just wonder if Western Digital will you know, really benefit from that too. I think what the, the US government would like US semiconductor companies to consolidate and buy, obviously, assets. And the, the, there is an issue at the moment in that, obviously, any consolidation which involves an Asian company buying a US company is seen as problematic. And, and similarly, probably the other way. So, you know, we believe that, well, well at the moment, um, Toshiba, um, which is a big player in NAND, Western Digital and Micron are probably likely to consolidate together, Toshiba being obviously Japanese. And we see obviously that as something that the US government will be obviously delighted to to encourage. But it's certainly true that if you look at the geopolitical angle the the us is is very very exposed to uh asian production and certainly if something were to happen in taiwan with china that would be obviously a significant ge- uh, geopolitical issue okay barry yeah thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts on those two um businesses uh, where can listeners go to find out more information about uh, you and argonaut capital Sure. So we have a website, Argonaut Capital, 
Uh, we put a lot of information on, on that. Um, you'll find monthly fact sheets. We write a regular blog called Argonautica, where we publish our views on uh, investments. Uh, and we roughly uh, write once a month, although uh, we hopefully only write if we've got something interesting to say. We're also on YouTube, where we put some videos out of our funds and, and uh, on timely issues. Uh, and we're also on Twitter as well. Okay, that's great. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Barry, for coming on. It's been a pleasure uh, to listen through your uh, investing style. Pleasure. Okay, thanks so much. Cheers.